Welcome to the Rocky Mountain Christian Church Podcast. Rocky is a community of believers who want to know Jesus and love like Him. Let's take a listen to this week's message. What up, church? Hope you're doing well. Hey, if you're new to Rocky, my name is Matt, one of the pastors on staff. So glad that you're joining with us uh, today. Hey, a couple quick things before we jump into the message. First, happy 4th of July weekend. Hope you had a great time yesterday hanging out with friends and family. And I know many of you shooting off some fireworks as well. I've never seen so many fireworks shot off on 4th of July. Shout out to the town of Firestone, gave an incredible uh, fireworks show. Well done, guys. Had a great time with my family yesterday. And uh, you know, it was interesting. I read an article uh, that said this year for the 4th of July weekend, uh, fireworks sales were up 110 so uh, I don't know if it's because a lot of the fireworks shows were canceled or what, but uh, you and, and me, we decided to take uh, the fireworks into our own hands this year. And I hope you had fun. Hope you were able to do it in a safe way. And uh, whatever you have planned for the rest of the day today, I hope you enjoy it. <clears throat> Also, I uh, want to remind you, or maybe for some of you here for the first time, but Sean Moore is our lead pastor last Sunday, uh, did uh, mention and gave an update about uh, some timetables that uh, when it comes to re-entering into our buildings. Uh, and we have uh, said that uh, sometime in the month of August, we will be re-entering uh, and we cannot be more excited to gather together. Uh, we've, we, we've seen some incredible uh, stories uh, over the last couple of months with how God has used and, and leveraged online services to reach people. Uh, and we're excited to go into a season where we're going to continue the uh, digital expression of our worship services, but also a physical expression as well. And I know because I've chatted with some of you over the last week that some of you were encouraged last Sunday uh, about that timetable of August. Some of you were discouraged. And in light uh, of where you might be this morning, I just want to remind all of us that 2020 has been a crazy year. It's been a difficult year. There are so many uh, polarizing conversations where I find people uh, are either clearly on one side or the other. And I've been reminded even this week to be praying for those who have the responsibility and bear the way to make really tough decisions, starting with our president and with our governors and mayors, uh, for our superintendents and our principals and business owners and church leaders. It has not been an easy season. But I want you to know that our, our leaders here at Rocky, man, we take uh, decision-making, especially when it comes to re-entering into the building, very, very seriously. And, and we are uh, taking time to be able to pray through that and to make wise choices. And what does it look like for uh, our church to get back in the building? So I, I want to ask if you'd be willing to, to be praying for us as we continue to lead through that. You're going to get some more information and updates over the next couple of weeks as we get closer to August and in a certain date. And, and then also what it's going to look like. So let's just all be of praying for that together. All right, we're in a series entitled Culture Shock. If, if you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, you know we've been working through the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, today will be no different. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll be there uh, in about 10 minutes or so. Uh, and this whole letter, uh, the, the book of 1 Corinthians, is, is written by Paul to the church in Corinth who uh, has uh, been uh, clearly dealing with some disunity within their church. It's interesting uh, that the church in Corinth, it is a really diverse, 
church. Uh, it is filled with uh, people from Jewish background. There are Gentiles who are part of the church, along with uh, some folks who have come out of pagan religions. And so what you see in the church of Corinth is, is all these uh, folks who come from different traditions, uh, uh, grew up in different kind of households, and have different views of, of maybe even God and church. And they've, they've discovered Jesus. They're, they're coming into the church because of Him. But then over time, that diversity, which should be an amazing thing to, to see people unified around Jesus, they, they, they allow some of these other conversations to slip in and to, to begin causing uh, disunity. And so Paul, one of the guys who was a part of planting the church in Corinth, is now writing back to the church. This is the, the letter of 1 Corinthians, and he keeps reminding them of what is the most important thing. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he's going to remind them that uh, there is a way to handle uh, disunity. There's a way to push back against uh, disunity. And the reason why this is a big discussion is because disunity was taking away from the mission of the church. And nothing has changed 2,000 years later that if you and I are not careful, if we allow other discussions to trump, which is what, what Jesus and John and Paul will write about in 1 Corinthians 13, if we allow other discussions to trump the conversation that Paul's going to have with us this morning about love, we too can fall into the trap to be sidetracked in the context of the mission of the church. We'll begin to let our preferences of, of, of how and and, 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 and how church looks, and, and we'll, we'll allow our politics to get in the midst of, of, of how we love people, and prejudices will begin to creep in. All of those things begin to get in the way of how we love. And, and here's the deal, and this is why we're doing this series, because we want to be a church, and hopefully you want to be a follower of Jesus, and I want to be a follower of Jesus, uh, who views their life through the lens of the gospel, through the story of who Jesus is and who he was and how he lived. And ultimately, we want to be a church and we want to live lives that affect culture, that literally shocks culture. It influences the culture in which we live, which is why we've called this series Culture Shock. And Paul today is going to say that we, we got to have a, a serious discussion about love. And so we're going to be in 1 Corinthians again, just a couple of minutes. But before we get there, I want to kind of give some of the foundation uh, or, or some of the, the writing or some of the things that Paul would have heard uh, that's going to help him form uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, and in John chapter 13, there's a story there about Jesus who's literally, he's just uh, hours away from being arrested. He's, he's just a day away from being crucified. He's, he's in an upper room. He's in some room with his disciples. He's taking communion with them for the very first time. He's telling them he's about to go to a place and they can't come with them. And the disciples are uh, confused. And in the midst of all of this, and, and they didn't know this, but we do, that Jesus is about to die. In the midst of this conversation with his guys, he drops on them probably the most important thing that we need to be reminded about on the daily. Look what Jesus says. This is John chapter 13, verse 34. Now, again, he's got his guys in the room with him, and here's what he says. A new command I give you. I got something brand new for you. Love one another. And this is an 
epic moment. Jesus essentially, he's saying, listen, there's been 600 and some, you know, Jewish laws that you guys know about, because if you love God, you're going to follow the commandments, and, and you've heard that, and they've even heard Jesus talk about even in other places, like Matthew chapter 22, when a guy came to Jesus and says, what's the, you know, there's all these laws, well, what's the, what's the most important one? And Jesus says, well, you got to love God, and you got to love people. You got to love God, you got to love your neighbor as yourself. And then we get to John 13, and he says to you guys, listen, all right, I'm going to simplify this even more. Here's the most important thing. I got something brand new for you. You've never heard this before. I want you to love one another. And this is why this is so radical because Jesus takes the word love. He doesn't use it as a noun, but he uses it as a verb. As in, I just don't want you to love that person over there like you feel something. I actually want you to get up and go over there and I want you to love that guy. And I want you to love that girl. He's not commanding his guys in the room to feel something. He's commanding them to do something. I want your love to move you. And then he keeps going in verse 34. As I have loved you, so he doubles down. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So Jesus raises the bar. He anchors this type of love to a person. He ties it to himself. So it's no longer, it's no longer about treating others the way that you want to be treated. It's no longer that. I mean, Jesus here in John 13 is going, that's Old Testament thinking. That's old thinking when it comes to love. He now says it's now treating others how God has treated you. Has nothing to do with anybody else. The only thing when it comes to how you treat others or how you love other people, the only thing that has influence in that conversation is how God through Jesus has treated you. How he has loved you. It's a huge shift in thinking. This idea has never been presented before in the history of the world. 2,000 years ago, it was radical and nothing has changed today. Parents, you can take this phrase. I, I've taken it from a, another pastor who said it like this. Uh, when you're not sure what to say or do, you love people like Jesus loved you. It's a great anthem for your kids. Hey kids, when you're not sure what to say or do, you love people like Jesus loved you. Now, when we read John 13 there and, and we see the phrase, as I have loved you, we naturally, those of us who are followers of Jesus, we naturally think of the cross. But these guys in the room didn't because the cross hasn't happened. They're still a day away from seeing Jesus crucified. And so when Jesus says to his guys, I want you to love people just like I have loved you, what they're thinking about is the previous three years that they've been literally walking with Jesus. And the things that they're thinking about when, when Jesus says, I want you to love people like I have loved you. Matthew, who's one of the disciples who's sitting in the room, who, who was a Jewish tax collector. He was despised and hated by his own people. In fact, some of the disciples even had an issue when Jesus invited Matthew into his core group. And I'd imagine that Jesus is there and he's kind of looking at Matthew and goes, Matthew, I want you to love people like I have loved you. Do you remember how I loved you? And you remember when you were a tax collector and you were despised and nobody wanted anything to do with you? You remember when you would walk through the streets and you would be scared because your whole job was literally ripping off your own people for personal gain and helping out the Roman Empire? And do you remember what I did? Matthew goes, yeah. You invited me in. You loved me. 
You changed my life. And Jesus goes, exactly. And this is what I want you to do for the rest of your life. I want you to love people just like I loved you. Matthew, I want you to love people that the world wants nothing to do with. Because you used to be that guy. And even though the world wanted nothing to do with you, I wanted everything to do with you. And I loved you. And your life has never been the same again. And Matthew goes, I got it. Peter's in the room. Jesus looks at Peter. He goes, Peter, uh, you remember, you used to be a fisherman. And I walked up on the shores and I gave you, like, I invited you into something that was radically going to change your life. You used to just do fish for fish, but now I called you to fish for men. And your life has never been the same. And Peter, he doesn't even know this yet. He's a couple of chapters away after the death and crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus that Jesus will come back and he'll actually say to Peter, Peter, I'm going to build my church. You're going to be the guy. You're the leader. You're going to take this into the future. You're going to be the rock. Peter doesn't even know this yet. And I can imagine there, there are years after that where, where Matthew and, and, and Peter are going to look back to John 13 and go, we remember what Jesus said to us up in that room. This is the most important thing. Guys, I want you to love people just like I have loved you. And this new command, it, it became the standard. This is the benchmark for, for every person who claims to be a follower of Jesus. It, John keeps going here, verse 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. This is Jesus talking. If you love one another, Jesus couldn't be more clear. He goes, if you want to look around and see people who love me, watch how they love people. If they don't love people, then they don't love me. And then a few hours later, Jesus is arrested. He'll be crucified the next day. Three days later, he comes back from the dead. And the men in that room did not think that's what they were going to see. They thought they were going to see Jesus literally singing, sit, sing, not singing, sitting on his earthly kingdom, in his earthly kingdom. They thought he was building uh, his, his own empire, that he literally was going to have an earthly throne. But they were surprised because the next day it was almost the exact opposite. He was being nailed to a Roman cross. And yet through all that, all through the story of the first Easter, what they came to the realization is what they were witnessing was full love on display. And so if you're, if you're wrestling today and going, okay, okay, well, why should followers of Jesus obey this command in John 13 to love? Well, because Jesus loved us first. And he loved you the best. That's why the story of Easter is such an incredible story. The, the cross demonstrates, it shows us, it, it's that verb kind of love. Jesus being nailed to the Roman cross because he loves you and it shocked those guys. And it continues to shock people 2,000 years later. And, and here's the thing, it takes all the excuses away. When Jesus says to his guys, I want you to love people like I have loved you, it takes all the excuses away from the disciples and it takes all your excuses and all of my excuses of why we could come up with, with why we don't want to love people um, because there's no loopholes. Jesus takes out all the loopholes in John chapter 13. No more excuses of why you should not love people because the reason why, the motivation why, the thing that's going to get you to stand up and actually go do something it's because Jesus loved you first and he loved you the best. And I want to argue today that that should make us pause for a second. That should slow us down and start thinking about if love is actually one of the greatest qualities of our life.
John is one of the disciples who's in the room with Jesus that night. In John chapter 13, he writes a couple other letters in our New Testament. He actually writes this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. This guy had a front row seat to the whole thing. Jesus was his friend. He was his Messiah. He followed him. He watched him die. And three days later, he looked Jesus right in the face. In fact, he's one of the guys, one of the first guys who ran down to that empty tomb on that first Easter Sunday. Look what he writes. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. And if you're wondering where he gets this idea about love, remember he was in the room. In John chapter 13, he says this, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love because I heard it from Jesus and Jesus is God and I saw Jesus do the most loving thing ever. He says it again eight verses later in verse 16. And so we know and rely on the love of God has for us. Why? Because God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So John equates uh, God with love. It's a uniquely Christian idea. You won't see this anywhere else. And this idea, this thought that God is love would literally change the world. And how do we know that God is love? Again, John saw it. Look at this, uh, verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Verse 10, this is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our friends. Verse 11, so dear friends, he's pleading, going, guys, listen, 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 listen. Since God so loved us, since he so loved, I saw it, I saw the love. Since he so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Do you guys, you remember You remember the conversation Jesus had with us in John chapter 13. Keeps going, uh, skip down to verse 20. He says this, if anyone boasts, if anyone says, I love God, anyone says they love God and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it. This is strong language. He is a liar. John says, you don't love God. I love God. Well, you're not loving people. Yeah, 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 but I love God. John says, no, you don't. You're a liar because if you love God, you would love people. And if he won't love the person he can see, here's his, here's his argument. If, if, if he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. Here's what God says. God says, you can't be fine with me if you mistreat someone I love. And and who does God love? Well, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. So God loves everybody. And then God says, listen, you can't say you love me if you mistreat people who I love because I love everyone. God says, if you mistreat the people that I love, listen, all the singing, all the worshiping, all the hands raised, all the communion, You can take all the communion you want. You can be a part of every Bible study you want. You can memorize every single word in the Bible. But if you don't have love, if you don't have love, there's nothing in the world you can do to make up for it. There's no spiritual rhythm you can dive into. doesn't matter how early you get up every day and read the scriptures. I don't care if you pray for hours a day. Jesus and then John, this is what they say. If you don't love people, you don't know God. You don't know him. And if you mistreat people who God sent his son to die for, then you do not love God. 
Because if you love God, then you would love people. Now, enter Paul. Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul uh, is very aware of this conversation. He is writing to the church in Corinth, leveraging what he already knows. He has heard from John. He knows the stories that happened in John 13 about what Jesus said. And, and, and he sees this kind of bickering in the church in Corinth. They're arguing about all these kind of church issues and all these church things. And then Paul leans in. He does what Paul does. He gets right to the point. Look what he says. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 1 says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not love. All right, so where has he heard this before? Well, it's a, it's a common narrative in the early church. But if you don't love, then I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Here's what Paul says. Words, words without love, just noise. Words without love, it's just noise. If, if you want to talk about Jesus, if you want to preach about Jesus, if you just want to yip about what you think is right in the context of Jesus in church, but you do not love, then you're just making noise. You're like a loud gong. You, you just, listen, it, it, you got nothing. You got nothing. And I would remind us and encourage all of us, that especially in this season of just disunity maybe at all-time high, we are going to be held accountable for the words that come out of our mouth. And if they're not loving words, then we should be thinking about the words we're using. For some of you, it is time to get off social media. You, you haven't said a loving word in quite a while. And most of your words are just unifying and they're attacking and they're dishonoring. And friends, it is not helping in the context of building the kingdom of God. Paul would say, you should probably just stop talking because your words are not marked by love. You're just making noise and it's not helping. Keeps going verse two. I'm telling you, he just leans in. Verse two, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if you're really, really, really smart, you've got a lot of Bible verses, you know, memorized, you got it all in here. And if I have a faith, if I have a faith that can move the mountains, but do not have love. Paul says, you got nothing. I'm nothing. Another translation would be, I'm a nobody. Paul says, great love. You got to hear this this morning. Great love beats out great faith. You believe that God could do this? Oh, I believe God could do that. Do you believe that God could move mountains? Oh, I believe God could move mountains. And then Paul goes, yeah, but if you don't love people, listen, your faith is nothing. You're nobody. You can't have great faith without great love, and great love trumps great faith. Love comes first. Jesus over and over again will have this conversation with his guys because they're always talking the previous three years before he's crucified. They're always saying, we want to be great. We want to be number two. We want to have influence. We want to have authority. And Jesus over and over and over again will say to them, do you want to be great? They go, we want to be great. He says, then you got to serve people. Do you want to be great? We want to be great. Well, let me show you what being great looks like. And in John 13, he will get on his knees. He'll put on an apron and he'll wash the feet of his disciples. Great love always trumps great faith. Always. 
Keeps going, verse three, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, Paul says again, I gain nothing. And this is the death verse for prosperity gospel. Here it is. Paul says, this is what Paul says, giving to gain God's blessing doesn't gain God's blessing. It gains you nothing. That's what he says. I gain nothing. If I give for the wrong reason, if I give out of a selfish motivation, if I give for any other reason outside of because I love this person and I've been called to give and to be generous, I I gain nothing. I gain nothing. There's nothing to be gained by giving in order to gain something back. That kind of giving is not an expression of love. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, loving generosity, loving generosity, loving giving is always a compassionate response to the needs of other people. And I don't need anything in return. Because last time I checked, God made a move. He made a decision to love you. And you didn't do anything to deserve it. Christians give to people in need because they're in need, not because they need something back. Christians are generous because of what their generosity does for others, not because of what it does for them. And then here's what Paul says. Paul is going to take more excuses out. That if you're listening and you're going, what does that mean? What does it look like to love people like Jesus loved us? Here's what Paul says. He goes, well, love is patient. Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil but rejoice, rejoices with the truth. Listen, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. And friends, here's a good exercise because if God is love and we know he is love, this is what John tells us because John saw this love on full display up on a cross. If God is love, then that means Jesus is love. And you could easily go back and read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, and say it like this. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. He does not boast. He, he is not proud. He does not dishonor others. He is not self-seeking. He is not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrong. Jesus does not delight in evil, but he rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects. He always trusts. He always hopes. He always perseveres. Jesus never fails. And if you're looking for some good application out of the message today, then you should go back to 1 Corinthians 13 and put your name in. Because Jesus, the the, the one who is love, looked at his church, he looked at his disciples in John 13, and he said, I want you to love people like I have loved you. And if Jesus are these things, then we should be aspiring to these things. I should be able to look at 1 Corinthians 13 and put my name in and go, Matt is patient. And here's, here's a good test. Think about what you've said and what you've done over the last four weeks and see if you can get through 1 Corinthians 13. Matt is patient. Matt is kind. Matt does not envy. Matt does not boast. Matt is not proud. Matt does not dishonor others. Matt is not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. Matt keeps no records of wrong. Matt does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. Matt, here's what he does. He always protects. He always trusts. He always hopes. He always perseveres. And friends, if I'm being honest, I would fall short. When it comes to loving people, Our church, me, you as followers of Jesus, we need to do better. We can do better. We should do better because Jesus said it. John recorded it and Paul taught it. And here's what they said. The most significant identifier for people who claim to be followers of Jesus is how they love people. It's how they love people. 
It's the most important thing. And what would happen if we loved people like Jesus loved us? What would happen if we loved people like Jesus loved us? Here's what I think. People who are nothing like us, people who believe nothing that we believe would actually like us. If we love people like Jesus loved us, we would begin to gain so much influence in the context of where we live. If we would stop talking and if we would stop writing, if we would actually get up and use love as a verb and walk across the street and knock on our neighbor's door and essentially say, I'm here to love. What can I do to help? If we would be a church that just wouldn't go through the rhythms of church. If we would be a church that just wouldn't say, this is what I believe, and if you don't believe it, you're wrong. If we would be a church that would say, above all else, the greatest characteristic that I would demonstrate in my life will be love. Friends, we will reach people who are far from God, which falls right in with the mission of the church because that is what Jesus said he came to do, to seek to save the lost. And the vehicle that Jesus chose to reach people who are far from him was love. It's the story of Easter. Here's, Here's a good challenge. Whatever conversations you've been in, whatever you're posting, whatever you're doing, when you walk away from somebody, when you give your point of view, When you go in this conversation, this is where I land. When you walk away, here's what Jesus says. Here's what John wrote down. Here's what Paul taught. When you walk away, people should be able to look at you and go, I don't agree with that person, but guess what? There is no doubt in my mind, they love me. They love me. They don't agree with me, but man, do they love me. I see I see, man, Matt is not envious. He, he doesn't dishonor. He is not self-seeking. He is kind. He is protecting. We got to get back to 1 Corinthians 13, and we got to stop reading this only in the context of weddings, and we should start reading this every day of our life. This is the mark that Jesus will put in front of us. It's the most important conversation. Do you love God? Yeah, I love God. What do you do? Well, I do this, and I do this, and I do that. And Jesus goes, you can do all of that, but if you don't love people, then you don't know me. You don't know me. Friends, it's not about being right. It's not about being right. It's about loving people. It's about loving people. And if you receive that today and you go, if that that creates anything like inside of you, that creates any tension, then you got to go spend some more time with Jesus because he's the one who said it. And he's the one who hung on a cross. He's the one who came back from the dead. And he's the one who set up this thing that we call the church. And he said at the core of it is love. It's love. If you're saying anything that isn't loving, if you're doing anything that isn't loving, And Jesus says, well, you don't love me. And if we're mistreating people, Jesus says, you don't don't get it. You don't love me. Because I came for people, not just for you, but for all. Paul, wrap it all up. At the end of, of 1 Corinthians, here's what he says. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Sums it all up. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But guess what? The greatest, the greatest of these is love. It's love. 
Church, let's be a group of people marked by love. Let's be followers of Jesus marked by love. Let's get to the end of our lives and the people who show up at our funeral above all else will talk about how we loved people. Not because of how they loved us, but because how God, before we were even born, set his affection upon us and loved us so much that Jesus himself would die on a cross to prove it. Let me pray for us. Father, today we are reminded of a great truth, a truth that creates tension in my own life, that the greatest mark for followers of you is how we love people. It is so clear in your scriptures. You said it. John recorded it. Paul can't stop talking about it. That if we don't love people like you love us, then we do not love you. So I pray that the spirit inside of us today would search us and find the areas of our life where we are lacking when it comes to love, where we have allowed other discussions to trump the greatest characteristic of love in our life, when it comes to our preferences and our politics, and maybe if we are honest, some of the prejudices that we hold on to, would you do work inside of us? Would your scripture speak to us? Would it be loud and clear? But the greatest thing that all of us should be concerned about today, according to Jesus and John and Paul, is how we treat people that we're going to be around. May we be a church that rises to the top who is known for how we love people. May we be friends and families and neighbors and coworkers that are marked by how we love people. So that when we get to the end of this race, to the end of this life, that people will say without a doubt, that guy was one of the most loving people I knew. That girl was one of the most loving people I knew. And the reason why and the motivation of why we do what we do has nothing to do with how the world will respond, has everything to do with how Jesus loved us. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. The church said, amen. I hope you have a great rest of the day. Enjoy it, relax, have some fun. We'll see you next Sunday. Bye-bye.